is awesome to be with you here on this Father's Day weekend, and I'm looking forward to having a little bit of time with, with my girl a little bit later, and, uh, and Carol as well, and a lot of celebration going on. But I thought in light of what we're talking about here uh, in Philippians, the fact that Paul has been teaching us, and he's been teaching us a myriad of things, but now in light of what we're focusing on today, Father's Day just fits hand in glove. And you're going to see why in just a moment. And so before we open up Scripture here today, I want you to hear from a man right from our own church here, MCC. His name is Troy Simpson. I had the opportunity to, to meet him a couple of years ago. Uh, and I'll tell you what, he, he began to tell me his story, uh, the story of his past, the story of his present, and what God has done in and through him and the healing that's come about. And so will you join me in welcoming Troy Simpson here this morning? And so glad that you're here. Yeah. And I, I first met Troy two years ago. Uh, we were at Men's Fraternity, and I was sitting at one of the breakout sessions afterwards at around a table, and he was telling me about his dad. And uh, I think it's around nine months ago now that your dad passed away. That's correct. And this is your first Father's Day without him. And um, so thanks for being here and sharing. Thank you. And, and as, you, as we're here on today, and we're... We're here on Father's Day, and as you're thinking about your dad, as you look back, what would be some of his greatest accomplishments in your own mind that you remember? Sure. Uh, Well, thank you for having me today. Uh, There are are many accomplishments uh, that my dad had in his career, and he has got a a tremendous story. Um, He was uh, born and raised as a small uh, uh, hometown country boy uh, in a small rural town of Lebanon, Kentucky. And uh, he had two great loves in his life. Uh, That was my mom. And football, and uh, he uh, he started both of those. He started a relationship with my mom in the eighth grade, and started began uh, playing high school football in the eighth grade. And through uh, through years of dedication and learning the game, he was uh, voted as the number one player in the state of Kentucky uh, his senior year, and was named the most outstanding Kentucky high school football player for the 1957 season. Uh, going into his college years, he was given multiple scholarships to, to universities throughout the country, and he chose to play at the University of Kentucky, uh, and it was important to him. He chose that college so that his mom and dad could go see him, uh, see him play right there down the road from uh, his hometown. So he had a tremendous football career. He was known for, uh, for having hard-nosed football, uh, just a tough guy out on the field. They called him Terrible Tommy, and uh, he, he was feared by many. So he had a great career. He was the MVP of the senior year, the team captain, won the 110% award, and uh, there was just many opportunities uh, awaiting him. Uh, He actually chose not to go into the NFL, although there were scouts that were out there looking for him, and uh, instead he decided to start a family with my mom. Uh, Aside of that, he was a health and PE teacher for 32 years, uh, and he was a high school and a college coach. Uh, for over 40 years, and uh, he coached all the way up into the 2015 season. And in uh, in 2009, he was actually named uh, into the Hall of Fame of Coaching uh, in the state of Kentucky. So Dad had many accomplishments, and he uh, he was such a great leader and very impactful on thousands of kids in their lives, and uh, more so being a father figure, being their teacher and everyone's favorite uh, coach. 
Well, he's uh, sounds like quite a guy, and obviously made quite a difference. And knowing a little bit about football, my next door neighbor was a football coach as well, and the, the demands of that. I mean, you talk about the thousands of students he impacted. So, as a kid growing up, then where did you fit in the in the mix of all that? Sure, Phil. I always wondered where it was that I actually fixed, uh, where I fit in the mix. You know, I questioned that throughout my childhood. Uh, I can remember uh, in high school, I had a teacher ask me. Uh, they said, Troy, you're nothing like your father. And I replied, you don't really know my dad. I don't want to be anything like him. And, uh, you know, my childhood, you would think having an athletic dad as myself, that we would have many backyard games uh, or there'd be times that, that uh, he and I would share together, but that wasn't the case. Uh, I can just remember my dad kind of sitting in the shadows, and uh, he was there in my life. But I don't have a single memory of my dad even tossing a ball with me. Uh, I can just remember him being the silent father sitting off in a distance in his chair as I just tossed a ball to myself. And there was a lot of frustration and anger that started building up in my life. And I remember uh, that first time we talked, you, you went back to this pivotal event. I think you were around 12 or so um, that happened that uh, really changed you and impacted, I think, your relationship for years to follow. What was that? Yes, the, uh, the event he's re- referring to, uh, I was 12 years old, and uh, uh, we lived on a, a, a farm, a cattle farm, and my dad asked me one day to help him get some cows into the barn. And for whatever reason on that day, uh, the cows decided to go around me. You know, I was just a young 12-year-old boy. And uh, Dad looked at me, and uh, he started cursing me in anger. And he just looked at me, and I can see those lips as the words came off his mouth. Can't you do anything right? And I looked back at my dad, and I told him, I hate you. I said, don't you ever ask me to do anything for you again, because I'm not doing it. And I turned my back to him, and I walked away. And for years, there was silence between the two of us. Uh, In our own sinful pride and stubbornness, neither one of us would say we were sorry. You know, here's a guy that was actually my teacher. Uh, I didn't talk to him in class, and he didn't talk to me. We would ride to school together, and there was silence. Uh, You know, within our own home, there was silence. I always knew that Dad was there for me, but we just weren't close. Uh, And this would go on into my college years. It went on and on. Uh, even as you were an adult, and of course, just uh, kind of the fractured relationship there between you and your father. And then I remember um, one day coming, and uh, we were talking about his dad, and, and Troy began to talk about these books that he was putting together. And uh, two books, I mean, they're, they're filled with, with pictures and images and newspaper clippings and everything of his father and all of his accomplishments through time. And uh, what led you... Uh, given your, your history and your fractured kind of relationship that was there, to honor your dad like this. I can remember uh, when I was in college, uh, I came home, and it was Father's Day. And I remember sitting in my car overlooking the family farm and filling out that Father's Day card. And that was the first time that I had told my dad that I loved him and uh, that I was proud of him and of, of his accomplishments. And, uh, you know, things were a little better uh, between uh, he and I into adulthood, adulthood, but you know things just seemed to be right there on the surface. Uh, it was you know talking about the weather, talking about sports. There was never anything uh, in depth in our conversation, and we were still distant. Uh, 
uh, well, into his later years, he wanted to write a book uh, to share his legacy of his accomplishments, you know, to the Simpson family uh, for years to come. And I knew I wanted to be the one to write this book. You know, it might surprise you all, but I knew deep down I wanted to be the one to, to do this. So my, uh, my grandmother and my mother had saved hundreds of newspaper articles when he was a, a player and when he was a coach and all these photographs. And I interviewed my dad and got all of his thoughts together, and he wrote everything down in a spiral-bound notebook. And uh, over time, uh, I would start putting this book together, and I was having a real struggle with, with compiling all this information. You know, he was telling me all these stories that I had never heard before, and to be quite frank, I really didn't want to hear uh, when I was younger, I, did, I didn't really care. And uh, here was a guy that, you know, he was everyone's hero, but to me, he wasn't my hero. And uh, I was just struggling uh, very badly, trying to get these books completed for him. And there were times I would just sit in front of the computer screen and just cry because that 12-year-old boy inside of me was still hurting. Tell me about that, um, more about that moment where you kind of work things out together. It was, uh, it was in 2013 that while I was doing these, uh, putting these books together, uh, I started attending men's fraternity, uh, a Bible study within the church. And we started to talk about, uh, the wounds of a father and how the wounds of a father directly impact uh, a man going into adulthood. And I knew right then and there that I needed to make things right with my dad. Uh, So I intentionally went home and pulled two chairs out in the middle of the living room floor and told dad we needed to talk. And I shared with him, you know, my frustrations and my anger and my my sorrows from being a child. And, uh, you know, I knew one day if I wasn't able to get that frustration out and to be able to ask him for forgiveness and to say I was sorry that I would be the person banging on his casket one day, mad at myself for not asking for his forgiveness. And, uh, you know, it was a tough, tough uh, conversation. Um, you know, he had a lot of uh, regret. You know, there were, uh, there were moments where he actually remembered back 25 years on that day in the field. And, uh, you know, he was sorry too. And, you know, my, my dad, he was this tough guy. You never saw him cry. And he just sobbed. And we held each other sobbing uh, in this giant bear hug after we talked. And it was as if God lifted that, that burden off of me and that 12-year-old child that was deep inside had finally been healed. And, uh, you know, things were, uh, things were good. You know, I always knew that my dad would be there for me uh, no matter the circumstance uh, and I knew that he loved me and I loved him. So uh, little did I know that uh, uh, a year later uh, I'd be using these books to give my dad's eulogy at his funeral and uh, just to honor him. So uh, I was very uh, fortunate to be able to make amends with him uh, before he, he, he passed away and Jesus called him into heaven. Mm-hmm. So now it's Father's Day, and uh, as you remember him, What's one thing, if you could boil it down to one thing you want to imitate from his life, uh, what would that be? Well, as a dad and all you fathers out there, nobody's perfect. And I I know my dad uh, tried his best, and I love him very much. And uh, today's a great celebration. 
because dad is with is his father on Father's Day for the first time since 1980 when he passed away. And he's sharing for the first time with his heavenly father, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And I know as a Christian that uh, one day I'll be reunited with him and have Father's Day once again with him. Uh, but if there was one thing that I would imitate, uh, it was just the love that my dad had for my mom. Uh, you know, last year was a pretty rough year for me. Um, my mom struggled for, for 12 years with a brain tumor. And my dad was right alongside of her. And she passed away in August of last year. And then he passed away 21 days later of a broken heart. And uh, if I could do anything uh, to imitate my dad, it would be uh, uh, to show that kind of love to my wife and my kids. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, I, I would certainly want to imitate that, the way that he led. So. I think you're leading there, and you're leading well. Thank um, you. It's beautiful to see your thank family you. and all that you're doing and all that God's doing in you. It's, thank it's, you very it's much. wonderful. Let's, I, I want to thank yeah, Phil. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just thank you so much for allowing me to share my testimony. Uh, you know, I've had many people come aside and share that I've been an encouragement to them, that... Uh, you know, just hearing my story, they, it gives them a sense of hope with their fathers. And I have actually had a, a gentleman come aside in the last service uh, that actually knew my dad and saw him play. So uh, it was pretty cool uh, hearing that he had seen him and, and talked about how tough he was out on the field. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. Let's thank Troy uh, for his leadership today, huh? Thank you. That's great. So let me ask you, I want you to think about this. Who do you imitate? Who do you imitate? You know, I think many times as, as Americans, we tend to think, I don't imitate anybody. I'm my own person. But the reality is everybody imitates somebody. So who do you imitate? You know, you, the reality is somebody's touched you in ways maybe you're not fully aware of. And, and Paul would want you to know today, and that's what we're going to take a look at today, that, that in life, in terms of what it means to be a follower of, of Christ, you better be careful who you imitate, because you're going to end up looking just like them. And so he begins talking in this section about leaders worth imitating and those who aren't. And so I, I want us to, to listen to Paul now. And uh, we're in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, he makes this really great statement and uh, in verse 7. And I think it's important for us to take it in. And then we're going to take a walk back into chapter 2 where we're actually going to focus today. But listen to Paul's words here. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. So Paul first says, follow my example. And then he says, well, then follow the pattern that we gave you. And so there's other leaders, he's saying, that are worthy to imitate. Uh, I want you to think of them as spiritual fathers, if you would. Spiritual fathers that you and I would imitate so that ultimately we could look more like Christ. And so that's what he says in chapter 3. But then going back into chapter 2, starting at verse 19, Paul begins to tell us about these three different leaders that we are to follow. And so let's go back now to chapter 2, starting at verse 19, and listen here to what Paul writes. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. 
I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So the first lesson is this, that I can be transformed by imitating those who place others before themselves. I can be transformed by placing, you know, by imitating those who place others before themselves. And so I want to ask you, who's the Timothy in your life? Do you have one? Who do you have in your life, whether it be a man or a woman, who places others before themselves? And are you imitating them? When I think about my own life, I can't help but think of my next-door neighbor, Gary. His name was Gary Quinn. My father was disabled when I was 10 years old. He was never, never able to work again. And he, as a result, he was never able to really be a father to me in the ways that a father would, to do things with you and to kind of share time together. He was mostly focused on just trying to make it through his day. And when you know it, along came this, these neighbors, Gary and Cheryl Quinn. They moved into the home next door. And Gary, he was a football coach. He was a basketball coach. Um, he, we played endless basketball and football together. That wasn't all. I mean, he had three kids of his own, and even so, he kind of treated me like their fourth. I went on all their family vacations with them so that I could see things that I never would have seen. We built models together, rode mini bikes together, spent all this time together. And over and over and over again in my life, Gary put me before him. He was my Timothy. And, and through my life, to be honest with you, I, I have found it an honor to imitate him. Because the more I imitated him, the more I became like Christ. And I keep imitating him in my life. Who's your Timothy? Do you have one? Just, I, I think what happens often is I hear from people. And they'll come up to me in the lobby somewhere else. And they'll tell me about somebody else in the church, for example. That's that Timothy, that person who serves other people. And they'll just marvel at them. They'll marvel at them. And they'll talk about them in great ways. And that's a beautiful thing to do. What Paul is saying is, you know what, if you want to look more like Christ, imitate them. Imitate them. So Paul, he talks here about Timothy. And uh, he sent Timothy to the church in Philippi, first of all, to find out how they were doing. But also to you know, find out about their successes, about their failures. And even if they did fail, Paul knew that Timothy was the right man for the job. Because he would help them by putting them first before himself. This is a leader that we are to follow in order to be more like Christ. So how do you recognize a Timothy in your life? Well, first of all, they're not going to be the kind of people who you know, tell you about their own accomplishments. They're not going to say, I did this and I did that. As soon as you're with somebody who talks like that, you're not with a Timothy. They're not going to be somebody who seeks their own agenda. Their agenda is you. Uh, you are before them. They want to meet your need. They, they, they want to serve you. They're not going to be overly confident. These are going to be people who work behind the scenes. They don't seek the spotlight. These are the kind of people who clean up after the party is over. You have someone like that in your life? As Timothy was known for cleaning up after the party was over. And this is why Paul stated this about him in verse 22. Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father... He has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And so Paul kind of makes himself a father in this. He refers to Timothy as his son. And this is interesting because in the first century, 
a son would always take up his father's trait. And so if his father was a farmer, he would be a father, like his father and his father before him. And it, as it, it was your job as a father then to train your son to look just like you, to, to be the best farmer he could be. And so you would train him, you know, when you get up in the morning and you do this first and then you do this and then you do this. And the more you kept training your son, the more he would look like you. He would take up his father's trade. And here, Timothy, he doesn't do that. Instead of taking up his father's trade, he takes up Paul's, the trade of advancing the gospel. And so what we see here is, is, is that Paul looks at Timothy like this son who has proven himself because first among everything else is he followed Paul's example by placing others before himself. And so as you take a look here on Father's Day, to these leaders we have in our lives, who's your Timothy? And I, I, I just want to encourage you not just to talk about them, but to imitate them. I can be transformed by imitating those who place others before themselves. That's what Timothy teaches us. And then Paul goes on to write here in verse 25. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So the second lesson is this, that I can be transformed by imitating those who have proven faithful through hardship. Those who have proven faithful through hardship. You have an Epaphroditus in your life? I did. Uh, he was my dad. My dad, from the time I was 10 years old, lived life racked in pain. I remember him just huddled in a ball on the floor, could hardly even move, even talk and operate. And yet through all of his pain in his life, he went through the bitter stage and then he decided, you know what, I, I got to get better. And so he just began focusing on God. In fact, I remember in all of his pain, I remember him sitting in that chair in the living room and he would be memorizing scripture and then he'd call my name and I'd stand there in the middle of the living room while he would recite it to me by memory. He wanted to make sure that he knew it. He did this nightly. And then uh, with his canes, he'd go out and he would serve people, uh, especially children. He loved to serve kids. And over and over again, my father proved faithful through hardship. And he showed me what it looks like to make God central in the midst of your storm. And so who do you have like that? Who is your Epaphroditus? Because the church in Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Paul in order to see how he was doing. And in particular, really to give, them, you know, give him this financial gift. And so he had come to Paul, he was serving Paul, but went so over the top in terms of his service that he actually became ill and almost died. And to this, Paul referred to him as a brother. 
a co-worker and a fellow soldier. He places him on the same level as Paul. And then he tells the church to honor people like him. Honor people like him. There's a lot of ways you can honor somebody, right? It's Father's Day. You can write them a card. You can, you know, share your words of affirmation with them. You can throw them a party. Or you can honor them in the greatest way possible. In fact, somebody once said this, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And this is what Paul had in mind here. That we would imitate these kind of leaders in our lives. In fact, we did this, or we should do this, he writes, because he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. And this is how he proves faithful through hardship. This is the clue that Paul's giving us, that he says, he, that he, again, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, in the Greek, the word help is an interesting word. It actually means a worship service, a worship service. So you put it together. He risked his life to make up for the worship service you yourselves could not give me. And that's odd, which is why it says help. And so what is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about being worshipped. What is he talking about, this worship that, that should be here, this worship service? Well, take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And Paul really defines what this kind of worship style and this life is all about. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which means you lay it all in line, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You see, true worship is more than our singing. It's more than our gathering. It's more than our praying. It's more than listening to a message right now. What Paul is saying is true worship is laying it all on the line. It's giving everything. And that's what Epaphroditus did in his life. He gave Paul everything that the church could not give to Paul because they weren't there. As a result, he had proven faithful through hardship because even during his sickness, during all of his pain, he gave everything he had to Paul. So who's a leader like that in your life? Who do you know? An Epaphroditus in your life. Are you imitating them? There's a lot of things you could do today, especially if your father would be this kind of figure. And I want to encourage you to focus on imitating them because the more that you do, the more you're going to look like Christ. And then Paul, he concludes this section by beginning now in chapter 3 in our Bible, starting at verse 1, and he writes this passage here. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, Faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider 
loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. What Paul's writing and he's telling us here is this, that I can be transformed by imitating those who focus on Jesus and Jesus only. You got somebody that sold out in your life? Do you have a Paul in your life? Thankfully for me, I did. And in fact, after Gary moved away, uh, the, the Gary that lived next door to me, and that was a huge loss for me when he moved away. I was in my early teens. And what you know it, though, that God then placed another Gary in my life. And this Gary was like Paul. He was all about theology. He knew the Bible backwards and forwards. He was an incredibly successful business leader, made a lot of money. But above everything else that he did in his life, he wanted to be noted for studying God's word, making Christ central. He was the Paul I had in my life. Do you have a Paul in yours? Do you have a leader like that in your life? Paul's saying, imitate them. Imitate them. And make sure he's saying that you don't imitate the wrong people. Because there's all kinds of people that want to be imitated, all kinds of leaders in our society that are upheld as role models to follow who aren't. And these kinds of leaders, Paul refers to as dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. And so what he's doing is here, he's drawing a compare and contrast. He's saying, you know what, I, Paul, and Epaphroditus and Timothy, we're on the Jesus-only plan. These other leaders that, that want you to follow them, they're on the Jesus-plus plan. And don't follow them. See, these were the Jewish leaders of that day. In fact, as the gospel was being shared and going out, of course, it first started among the Jewish people. And so the first people to come to saving faith were Jews. And now the Gentiles were coming to Christ, and as they began to look for other role models to follow, people who were, you know, greater in the faith than them, well, they would look to these Jewish Christians. And these leaders were saying, you know what, before you can become a Christian, you first have to become a Jew. Circumcision precedes baptism, is what they were saying. And Paul had no patience for them, no patience at all. They preached deception and not true devotion. See, Jesus plus anything is not a plan for salvation. Paul would say it's a plan for damnation. And that's why he, he told the church in Philippi not to follow them, not to listen to them. Because what Paul was saying is, yes, a circumcision is needed in order to follow Christ, but a very different kind of circumcision. He wrote to the Romans this. He says, No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is, the, is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. And so circumcision of the heart means once your heart is circumcised, it means it is focused on God exclusively on Jesus and honoring him. Which means that other things are going to need to get cut away from your heart. Things that you pursue that will never satisfy, things that you find valuable that aren't, all these things need to be cut away so your heart can be circumcised and focused on Christ. 
But Paul was saying, you know what, these Jewish leaders, they were talking about their Jewish circumcision, which cannot save them. And so in light of that, then Paul begins to talk about his Jewishness, the things, his accomplishments, basically, that could not save him either. He talked about his own Jewish circumcision that was on the eighth day. He stated he was of the tribe of Benjamin, which means nothing to us, really. But what it meant to the Jewish people was that Paul more than met the Jewish requirement because to be of the tribe of Benjamin meant that you were the cream of the crop. And on top of that, Paul was a Pharisee. He followed the law faultlessly. He had all of these accomplishments. And what Paul was saying is, you know what? Our accomplishments are of no good because our accomplishments can't save us. Only Jesus can. And as Paul kept focusing more and more on Christ, it cost him plenty. He lost his friends. He lost his home. He lost his reputation. He lost his comfort. And instead, he gained a prison cell some chains, and a lot of extra time for writing letters. And to this, Paul said, you know what, what I've gained has far surpassed what I've lost. In fact, he called all of his modern conveniences that he lost, he called them garbage. Garbage. Is that what we call our modern conveniences? The things that we seek after, the latest style, whatever we got to buy next, the latest, the newest model car, do we call it garbage? Paul did. And I think what Paul is saying is, you know, if you're going to follow his example to be more like Christ, well, then you've got to take a step back. Take a look at your life. Take a look at your choices and really get honest with yourself and say, you know what? Have I become a garbage collector? And has my dump pile grown so large now, I can hardly see Jesus at all. And am I willing to get rid of that pile? garbage in order to make Jesus central because Paul was Paul was focused on the bigger things and this is why he wrote this as he closes out this section I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. We become like Christ in death. And what that means is that we die to ourselves. We have a circumcised heart. We cut away those things that aren't needed. We die to those things that are not needed. So that ultimately, we can focus right there. On Christ. So that we could ultimately live, is what Paul was saying. As Paul wrote, he's saying, you know, I, Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, we are worthy to imitate today, not because of our accomplishments, not not because of our titles, not because of our nationality, and certainly not because our names are in the Bible, because there's a lot of names that are in the Bible that are not worthy to follow. Paul would say, you know, we are worthy to imitate because of who we imitate. In fact, another letter that Paul wrote it this way, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. See, ultimately, any leader worth imitating has already imitated Christ. And so this Father's Day, if your father's alive, I've got a few challenges for you. If you're going to have a meal with him sometime today, perhaps, or maybe call him on the phone if you're not going to see him, or if he's passed away, like Troy's has, and you can maybe just go to that graveside there and stand there. Say, you know what, Dad? I'm thankful for you. You weren't perfect. You weren't perfect. 
but I'm thankful for you. And I could say a lot of words. I could write a card. I could do all these nice things, but I'm going to honor you. I'm going to honor you. And the way that I want to honor you is to imitate the ways that you have shown me Jesus. And here's how you've done that. And because you show me Jesus in this way and in that way, I'm going to imitate those things in my life. Because the more I know that I imitate those things in my life, the more I'm going to look like Christ. So do that today. And then I want you to think about you. Whether you're single, married, man or a woman, I want you to think about you. I want you to think about what role model you are to others. Have you proven faithful through hardship? You put others before yourself. Is Christ central for you? Are you a leader worth imitating? Get honest with yourself about that. And then, as Paul tells us to do, and we'll talk more about that next week, let's get after pursuing the prize. Let's get after pursuing the prize of Jesus Christ in our lives, which means a circumcised heart, which means we've got to die to ourselves. Let's go after Christ with everything that we've got. Because the more we pursue him, the more we're going to look like him. And the more we look like him, the more people are going to notice. And they're going to want in. And then we can be used by him to share the gospel that we've been talking about since the beginning of this series. And other people can come to know him. That's what it's all about. So right now, can you just close your eyes? I just want you to get honest before God and just right now just a short prayer and and say Father help me help me to be the kind of leader that's worth imitating help me to make Jesus central in my life help me to be faithful no matter what comes my way help me to place others first before myself that I can be a leader worth imitating so that ultimately I can help point others to you, Jesus. That's what I want to be about.